The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Well, we have been in a kind of sporadic series on the subject of the church. And today I want to close out this series with a reminder of the blessing and the necessity, hear me, of Christian community. Folks, the local church, Christian relationships, those things are meant to be an incredible blessing. The Christian life is not to be lived in isolation. And I know there are many people today who say, well, I love Jesus, but I'm, not ju- I'm just not for organized religion. In other words, the church. But I read in my Bible, and I don't see how you can separate the two. Does going to church save you? No. But a safe church, a safe person loves the body of Christ, loves other believers. That's one of the evidences of the genuineness of their faith. And they will be plugged in to a local church as they have opportunity. I believe that. The New Testament, as I've said many times, knows nothing of a believer who is genuine and yet not connected to a local assembly. So there are many reasons that this is helpful, many reasons that Christian community is a blessing. But one of the reasons that we must be in church is this, that Christians have this proclivity to drift. Am I the only one? All right. Time from time to time, you and I, we wander, we drift. You know, there are times when we feel spiritually charged. And yet, if we're honest, there are times when we feel spiritually drained. So we are engaged in this internal battle while we're on this earth. And actually, there's an inner war going in with that sinful nature that still raises its ugly head from time to time. And it simply gets exhausting. And I want you to know, church, I am not immune to this kind of, kind of spiritual exhaustion. I need you as much as you need me. I don't think people get that. I'll say it again. I need you in your faithful attendance, in your encouragement, as much as you need me. For the first few months of 2018... I watched myself. I felt like I was watching from the outside, but I I watched myself slowly, day by day, drift into one of these what I would call dry seasons. Exhaustion from running my own business and pastoring a church, dealing with frustrations, and then trying to lead my own family. Two teenagers, Lord help me. I began to feel overwhelmed and by the time the beginning of April rolled around if I can be really frank with you my prayer life was not quite as fervent as it once was it took every bit of willpower and strength in me and ultimately it took the precious Holy Spirit to where I could even open my mouth and pray for a minute because I was spiritually exhausted My Bible reading, and if you know me, you know how much I love the Word of God. 
my Bible reading had become joyless. More of an obligation to create sermons rather than just to commune with God. But something happened in October of last year when I was in a, a really good place. I booked a conference in Louisville way ahead of time. And April, this happened at the very beginning of April. Isn't it awesome just how God works? His divine providence made this happen. But I just felt compelled to go to this conference. And when April rolled around, if I can be honest with you, I didn't want to go. But I didn't want to waste the money that I had paid, so I acquiesced and I went anyways. And for three days, a couple, just a couple of weeks ago, I was with about 12,000 men. A few women were there, but mainly just men, most of them pastors. Men who treasure Christ above all things. Men who know the Word of God frontwards and backwards. One of those men that were there were my dear uncle, Dale Cunningham, who is one of my mentors and biggest encouragers in the faith. And by the time that third day rolled around, just being in the fellowship and hearing Christ-exalting songs and hearing the Word preached over and over, about nine sermons in three days, about an hour long each. I won't preach an hour this morning. If God will help me, amen. She wants an hour and a half. <laughs> Something happened to me. And my uncle looked over at me as we were sitting on that last day. And he said, Chris, how's your prayer time? And I said, Dale, if I can be honest, I have to muster every bit of strength up in me just to get any words to come out. I'm tired. Complaining and grumbling. I never feel like I can, I can meet up to the standards at times. I just feel defeated. And he said, let me pray with you. He put his arm around me and began to pray fervently over me. And I felt something shift in me. And I left that place charged up knowing that I know that I know that I'm called to do what I'm doing right now. And I am who I am by the grace of God. And I tell you all of that just to say, that is why we need each other. You, ha you have no idea how much joy I get from being with you this morning. I love real life community church. And sometimes we tend to dwell on the two people who are always frustrated about something instead of the 130 people who love it here. Amen? And just glory in what God is doing in their lives. We need each other. Christian community is vital. So, that being said, I, I want to make this kind of thesis statement about where we're going in this message. And I'll move through it quickly. The gathering of God's people for corporate worship and the blessing of Christian relationships are what we call a means of grace. These are ordinary elements that God uses to strengthen and empower His people and to help fortify our faith. You want to stay on that straight and narrow? You want to refuse to drift? Would you love to find yourself not drifting so far or so frequently? Be faithful 
to be a part of Christian community. Encourage others and let others encourage you in the faith. No, you can't keep me saved. God does that. But God uses, this, this is what we mean by means of grace. God uses ordinary things like the preaching of the word this morning. My preaching can't save you, but the Holy Spirit just might use that word to spark something in your heart. And that's what He does with Christian community. The Holy Spirit uses it to fortify our faith. And I want to show this to you out of Hebrews chapter 3. So you should have a full sheet of paper on the back of your lyric sheet. Because we don't have the words this morning up here. You will see the scripture printed out. It's kind of cool because you can mark on it. And uh, underline things that may speak to you in the scripture. And I would just invite you to stand for the reading of the word of God. Just to kind of tell you what's happening here in Hebrews in chapters 1 and 2. The writer is speaking greatly about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That He is greater than the prophets, the angels. He's the founder of our salvation. He is our faithful high priest who has reconciled us to God. And so now we pick up here in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Oh, I could preach right there forever. Consider Jesus. Many people confess Jesus, but we're called to do more than confess Him. We're to consider Him. The apostle and the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to Him who appointed Him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And watch this. We are His house if... Indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And then the writer quotes Psalm 95. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your father put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. And said, they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12. This is a big focus verse here, 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For, now pay attention to the wording here. We have come to share in Christ. How do you know you've come to share in Christ? If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And it is said today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those 
who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I'm going to quickly look at three truths that are found in this text. I'm going to move through this as quickly as possible. Number one, we're going to look at the importance of Christian perseverance. Secondly, the sin that wars against our perseverance. And number three, the best news of all, God's protection in helping us to persevere. Tremendous news. So the book of Hebrews was originally written primarily to Jews, though it is for us also today. And these Jews were likely in Rome. Uh, the book was written, the letter was written about somewhere between 60 and 69 A.D. We don't know exactly who wrote the letter except the Holy Spirit. But uh, the best guess that we have, most scholars believe that Apollos actually is the author of this letter. The book is very, very doctrinal. But it's also very practical. As I mentioned before, doctrinally, the Holy Spirit uses this writer to remind these Jews and us of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. Are you discouraged? Remember who Jesus is. Are you despondent? Remember who Jesus is. That's the point. So that's doctrinally. Jesus is sufficient. He's supreme. But then the practical side is this. Because He is supreme and sufficient, keep your eyes on Him. Keep running the race. Don't go back to your old ways. Keep moving ahead. Keep the faith. It is an encouragement as a whole, as a this call to persevere. So I want to begin by studying this important doctrine of Christian perseverance. So I don't have time to unpack the entire chapter today, but in verses 1 through 6, simply we see the argument that Jesus is better than Moses. Again, showing us Christ is supreme. Alright? I, I want to paint a picture now, though, of the situation that's occurring so you can understand why this is being written to these Jews. Here's what's happening. The Jewish believers are facing trials and persecution. Now, this is occurring likely because, either indirectly or directly, because of the Roman Emperor Nero who is this ruthless emperor who hates Christianity. A horrible man. There may be something else going on as well. Dr. Craig Keener points out that there may have been pressure too from Orthodox Jews to get these Jewish men and women to renounce their faith and just go back to what's easy and comfortable. And if you as an adult maybe came to the faith and you have friends who aren't so much on the same page as you, you may have felt this pressure before. Come on, you're no fun anymore. I mean, you're happy, but you're doing other things to get happy. Right? What happened to the good old days when we just go out and we could just get wasted and party all weekend? And what are you doing? Sundays, we're not going golfing anymore. We're, we're going to church. What, what are you doing? Just come back. Just come back. So apparently there's this temptation for these Jews who are professing Christ. It's very difficult for them to live in this first century. And according to the Bible and according to their faith. And so there's this temptation 
to go back into Judaism. What they knew, what they're familiar with. But to do that would be to renounce Christ. And so I want you to hear the cry of the writer's heart here in the second part of verse 6. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are His house if indeed. How do you know you're, you're, you're part of God's house? You hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And then the same thing essentially is said in verse 14. We have, to, we have come to share in Christ. And again, I want you to notice the tense on this. How do you know that you've come to share in Him, that you currently share in Him? The lasting evidence is that you believe till the end. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So that's the ultimate test. We must persevere, friends. We must finish the race set before us. You remember what Paul said in uh, writing 2 Timothy? I fought a good fight. I finished my course. And I have kept the faith. Alright? Now that is God's doing. But the Christian life is not passive. Paul said, I fought the good fight. And it wasn't an easy fight for Paul. Tremendous persecution he went through. I don't know why I just said that like Yoda. Persecution went through he did. I don't know. He got the worst. Time to watch some Star Wars, I guess. So in, in verses... 8 through 11, understand the writer's wanting, hey, to these believers, listen, I know it's tough. I know it's tough. But prove that your faith is real. Hang on. Keep running. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And so then he moves to quoting Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. And this would be a very familiar song recited often by these first century Jews. And the song refers to a story most of you are probably familiar with. The rebellion of the Israelites... In the wilderness. And that generation who were brought out of Egypt, they tasted the power and the goodness of God as He miraculously brought them out of Egypt and provided for them in the wilderness. I mean, he, he, all those plagues that God brought them out with, then the parting of the Red Sea, the protection that God put on their lives, the miraculous way that He provided for them, and they were really happy to get out of Egypt where they were slaves. They wanted out. But you know the problem? When it came to following God's plan in the wilderness and waiting on God and being patient and trusting Him when things didn't seem to go their way, they began to complain and they began to grumble and they began to reminisce. Why did we even leave Egypt? Oh. Oh, let's not be like them. I've told you over and over, the Christian life is not rainbows and cupcakes. It's difficult at times, but we must, even in the toughest times, trust the Lord. And so he's saying here, don't be like those people. Don't be like that generation. No. Keep running the race. Keep trusting Christ. Do not harden your hearts, professing Christians, as in the day of the rebellion. And we live in a culture that tends to run when things get tough, don't we? According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, these numbers came out in 2016, the median number of years that wage and salary workers had been with their current employer was 4.2 years. 
And that number is continually going down. According to Forbes magazine, that number is actually halved when you look at just the young generation. You're fortunate to get two years today out of an employee. How many remember the days when you used to retire at the company that gave you your first job? That rarely happens anymore. But the attitude of our culture is this. Things get tough, or I get a little better off, or a quarter more on the hour, I'm gone. See ya. Right? No different in marriage. Remember the days when you worked out your differences. <laughs> marriage is not easy. Don't say amen if your spouse is sitting next to you. <laughs> but you stick it out, right? Not today. A lot of people go into marriage. If it doesn't work, I'll just upgrade to another model. That's not good, by the way. You're welcome. We don't live in an age that values commitment. And when it comes to faith, a lot of people profess it. See, everybody wants Jesus to be Savior. But few want Him to be Lord. That's what Israel wanted. They Bring me out of Egypt. But do it my way when we get in the wilderness, not yours. That's what we want. And so when persecution comes, our faith, the genuineness of our faith is put to the test. So in this time of persecution, the writer is saying, listen, don't let your hearts be hardened. Keep your eyes on Jesus. So perseverance is absolutely crucial. All right. I want to move on. We've talked about perseverance. Let's talk about the problem. In other words, what is the enemy of perseverance? Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened. Here it is, by the deceitfulness of sin. I told you there's a battle within the life of every single believer, and it's the flesh, the sinful nature, warring against the Spirit of God. True believers want to follow God. We desire. That's one of the marks of a believer. We want to follow Him. We want to obey Him. But every now and then, that ugly sinful nature raises its ugly head. And I think we can all really understand Paul's frustration in Romans chapter 7. This just so resonates with me. He writes this in verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. Can I get a witness? For I do not know, do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And that's that battle. That's that internal war that's going on. True believers want to do what is right and good in the sight of God. Yet so often we drift from that aim. I love the words. I'm going to go old school on you of this hymn. And praise team, you better be thankful. I didn't ask you to sing this one today. Come thou fount of every blessing. Anybody remember that song? All right. So I, I love this one verse that articulates so well what we believers know to be true. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness like a fetter or a chain bind my wandering heart to thee. Now watch this. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's the cry of my heart. Do you feel that proneness to wonder from time to time? The cry of my heart. Lord, 
That's, it's me, that's my sinful nature, it drifts. But Lord, oh, how I love you. Take my heart, seal it. Seal it, God. I want to treasure you every day above all things. So why do we have this proclivity to wonder? I love the way C.J. Mahaney explains this. It's, the reason is sin. And I love this pastor's explanation of this. He says, we've been delivered from the power of sin. We're not slaves to it anymore. Is anybody thankful for that? Secondly, there's no better news that exists than this. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin. Hallelujah! If we're in Christ. 1 Peter 2.24 He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you've been healed for you were straying like sheep, drifting. There it is. But now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. We've been delivered from the penalty of our sin, namely the wrath of God. Hallelujah. But there's an issue. We've been delivered from the power and the penalty of sin, but we still have to deal with the presence of sin because we still live in a fallen world. Though eventually that will be done away with too. And we will, we will be made, in, in a sense, like Christ and that we don't struggle with sin anymore. The fight, the battle will be over. I'm looking forward to that day. But sin is the problem. It's the great enemy of Christian perseverance. So the problem is that a professing Christian lets sin reign, coddles it rather than confesses it, which ultimately what we're trying to stop, that can lead to unbelief. So verse 19, going back to Israel in the wilderness says, so we see that they were unable to enter. Why, why couldn't they entertain it? Because of unbelief. What caused their unbelief? Complaining. Complaining. They complained and they grumbled. They sinned. They didn't trust God. They disobeyed. I'll just do it my way. And it cost them dearly. So to share in Christ means we must persevere to the end. And the enemy of that perseverance is that sinful nature. But I have amazing news for you today. That's the final piece I want to just mention. That is our protection. Our protection. The protection of our perseverance, if you will. Now to be sure, I want to make this very clear. God is the one who is able to keep us from falling. Okay? Read you a scripture here. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now watch this. You, if you're in Christ, that's for you. And here's what's happening to you even right now. Who, by God's power, not your power, God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. We go on abiding in Christ. We understand that God is fortifying our faith. So the Christian life is not passive, but God is protecting us as well. Those who are true believers. It's amazing. But you see there how faith works with this. We continue to look to Christ. So it is God who keeps us from falling. 
But He gives us, as part of that, the means of that, He gives us what we call these means of grace. The sacraments, the preaching of the Word, prayer, and many other elements that He uses to fortify our faith. There's no power in those things by themselves. But God uses them as a means of fortifying our faith. Though God works in us, we have this responsibility. So how is it that we guard ourselves from drifting? Number one, you look at verse 12 with me real quick. He says, take care, brothers. Number one, there's personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. We live in a culture, again, not only are we not committed, but we like to blame everybody else for our problems. Brothers and sisters, we need to take responsibility for our own drifting and do a self-assessment every now and then. Can I get a witness? The book of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is supreme, again, that He's sufficient. And the whole book, here's what it does, it encourages us to keep our eyes on Him. So what is your job as a believer? It's to not look and, and to be overcome by the winds and the waves, but to keep your eyes on Jesus, the author, the finisher of your faith. It is so hard not to get overcome with negativity and problems and tribulation and turmoil. But if you'll just keep your eyes on Jesus, this is your part. Keep looking to Him, the author and the finisher of faith. But we have another responsibility too. Brothers and sisters, we must cut off sin, not coddle it. There's no such thing as a little sin. Same letter, Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know what happens with sin? It trickles into our life and it doesn't seem... We, we call it a small sin. There's no such thing. And it begins to weigh us down and gets greater and greater, but just an inch at a time, just a small segment at a time. And we think we've learned to, to work through it and act Christian through it. And we, can, we uh, trick everybody else, but we've gotten so good we can even trick ourselves. I'm okay, I can, I can handle this. This past uh, week I was working at the gym with, uh, with Justin, my, my trainer, and um, he had me doing something I didn't like very much. He had a, we were doing deadlifts with what's called a triangle bar. You, you stand kind of in the middle of it. And it wasn't real heavy weight, but this was for five minutes straight. And I have to stand in this bar, do deadlifts with this special bar. Weights on both sides, five at a time. One, two, three, four, five. And then on that fifth one, hold it and run ten yards to the other side of the building. Do five deadlifts. Run 10 yards to the other side of the building, back and forth for five minutes. I am convinced that one of you hired him to kill me off. I said, why don't you like me? That's what I asked him. But, but you know what? After I set those weights down, it didn't seem real heavy in the beginning, but after five minutes, I kind of got used to it. I was exhausted though. And after I set them down and I continued to try to work out and run a little bit of things, it's amazing how light I felt. And what happens is we don't realize sometimes that sin has that effect on us. That it just 
weighs us down. And you watch somebody who drifts and drifts and drifts. And I'm frustrated and everybody's against me. And and a lot of times what you'll see is that there's a sin. And we think of these, what we would call major sins, but sometimes it can be simple things. It can be attitudes. It can be pride. It can be lust. It can be a number of different things. But it's sin in the heart that we just kind of coddle and say, ah, it's not as bad as so-and-so. Friends, if that's you, I want you to know, hear the cry of this pastor. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. So we've got to take this personal responsibility. And then, and this is where I, the, the, the point that I'll close with, but I want you to get this. There's another piece of this. We're to also exhort one another. Verse 13, exhort one another every day, as long as it's cold today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. One of the means of grace that God has given us to help us on this spiritual journey is the blessing of a community of believers that we call the local church. What an incredible gift. What an incredible gift. And we ought to love the church even in all of its perfections, imperfections. We need each other. We need to encourage one another. We need to exhort one another. Okay? Christian fellowship is one of the safeguards that the Holy Spirit works through to protect us and to help us persevere. We can see things in each other that we can't see in ourselves. See, we need to do that first thing. We need to self-assess. The problem is that when I self-assess, I'm pretty generous. And there's times when I truly can't see something that you might be able in myself that you might be able to see in me. I have a test for friendship. You want to hear it? When we are at a restaurant, if I have something on my face, and if you tell me and don't let me walk out of the restaurant making a fool of myself, you are my friend. I used to, I used to go to lunch all the time with this guy. His name was Keith years ago. And I was young, and this guy had his doctorate. And, you know, I was just kind of learning. And, and he was, uh, you know, he just this real kind of proper guy. But he had this big, thick goatee. And uh, I remember we'd go to lunch, man, and I used to kind of get grossed out because it's like a whole meal that he was saving for later would, would, be, uh, would be sitting in his beard. And uh, I used to, I, I, I got convicted about this because for about the first six times we went out to lunch, I just let him walk out like that. I mean, he's walking out all confident, Dr. Keith, with a whole meal in his beard. And I thought, I am not a friend. I'm not a friend. If, I, if there's something wrong with my attire something, please tell me. One of the most frightening, horrific experiences of my life was when I was in Creed, Colorado. And uh, I was, I was um, I'm really paranoid about this now, and you understand why. And, and I, was up, I was starting the service off. I was going to lead worship. Big church, lots of people, you know, four or 500 people there that morning, probably three, 300, 400 people. I don't know. And, but it's packed out. And I'm up there and I'm lifting my hands like this. So my shirt's coming up. Praise the Lord, everybody. Come on, he's good. All this, all this. And I sit down at the piano and here comes my other associate pastor who comes up to me. And he leans down to my ear. He says, hey, you might want to check your zipper. But praise God, he didn't let me preach that entire service like that. It's, It's humiliating enough that that happens in the beginning of service. But it's much worse when you go home. 
and you find out that nobody loves you enough to tell you. Right? Brothers and sisters, let me be very serious for a moment. Just a moment. Listen. Every one of us spiritually have crumbs on our face that we can't see. That's why we need each other. And don't hate on pastors or other members in this church because they lovingly point out a crumb in your beard. You get what I'm saying, right? Because when we self-assess, we miss things. It's like wiping your mouth, but there's still just something that you can't see hanging there. It's exactly what happens, and that's why we need one another. Exhort one another daily that you may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You may not think your sin's a big deal, but hopefully you have somebody from this church, if you go here, or if not some from somewhere else, who loves you enough to tell you the truth and say, hey, this isn't a, this isn't a little thing. The enemy wants to sift you as wheat. Confess it. Cut it off. Don't coddle it. Be thankful you have brothers and sisters honest enough and loving enough to tell you. I don't know if you've ever, I've I've mentioned this before, I don't know if you've ever studied the lion. Most of us have at some point in our lives. Intriguing animal. It's interesting, as large as the lion is, as powerful as the lion is, it's interesting how that lion hunts. It waits very, very patient. It waits with great patience to find the weak, the hurt, and listen to me, the isolated. Pray. And then it attacks. First Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's your enemy. He's my enemy. And he wants to pounce. And you know what he's waiting on? For you to isolate yourself. And and when you sin, what's the tendency? It's to isolate. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They hid. If you're struggling with sin, we're not the church that's going to kick you while you're down. We're going to help you. Appropriate God's grace in your life and help lift you back up. That's the heartbeat of this church. We're not going to play with it. We're not going to call it and say, oh, it's just a cute little sin. It's okay. No. Our message to you, cut it off. Cut it off for your life's sake. Cut it off. But put your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. That's what we want. Run to each other. Okay? I'm just going to mention these points of application. Read them off. You can write these on your notes if you so wish. One, as we've said many times, keep your eyes on Christ. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. I hope you never get tired of hearing the gospel. Pastor, all you do is talk about the gospel. Well, (laughs) yeah. Join a church. Commit. Preferably this one. If not, find one. A Bible-believing church. 
attend faithfully. Members act shocked when I say, you should come to church. What? Yeah, like you should be here faithfully every week. What? Like I think this is obvious, but not so much to some people. Don't hide, number four. Don't hide. Get to know people. All right, don't run out after service. Some of you may think, well, I've been a Christian for 20 years or 30 years or 50 years. If any of you thinks he's above falling, take heed lest you fall. How arrogant to think you don't need Christian fellowship. Listen, I've had people in the halfway house, house that are, are, I mean, saved a month that encourage me, the preacher. We need one another. Be honest. Number five, be honest with others and let others be honest with you. Let others be honest with you. Be loving, be encouraging, be truthful. Number six, real practical here. We're starting small groups. One of them's already started. Join a small group. We're to exhort one another daily. Yes, come every Sunday morning. Come every Wednesday night. But that's not daily. You need friendships out of this assembly. People who you know and can trust that will hold you accountable. Don and Lynn Wynn are starting a uh, small group. As Christian, Christy mentioned earlier, Jan King has a small group for ladies. I'm starting one for men. And then we have another family in our church who will be starting one soon as well. And they're going to be in the foyer. Those two groups that I mentioned first will be in the foyer. You can talk to them. They meet on Sunday evenings. It's going to be awesome. Take advantage of the resources that are available to you so that we can exhort one another daily. And I'll close. I ask you to stand. I'm going to close with this verse as we sing. Jude 124. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your keeping power. Thank You for the perseverance of the saints. We can trust in You for that. But Lord, remind us that this isn't a passive aim. To where we get to sit back and watch you do all the work. Yes, Lord, the keeping power is yours. But you have given us direction. You have given us resources and these means of grace to help fortify our faith. Thank you that we can trust in you. That we don't have to go out of here today and if we're really saved and wonder, am I saved and I'm not saved? I thank you for the assurance of salvation. But I pray that we don't take that to the extreme, to where we neglect that salvation. Because we're told in this same letter not to neglect it. And Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know you, speak to their heart, Lord. Draw them to you. Let them call on the name of the Lord. And if there's one here that is saved, but not connected with other Christians, oh, today, let it be the start of incredible relationships we ask. I thank you for the community that we experience in this church. I love it. I love the men and women and the boys and girls that make up real life community church. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. 
Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.